This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us as we continue with our series, Real Life, Real Community. We hope you enjoy this message from our Director of Spiritual Formation, Rennie Morris, about how we can honor God through worship. worship series, we've looked at different things we do together in community, and worship is one of those, and worship is a tricky thing. We sometimes worship for the wrong reasons. We worship because we want to feel better about life, or we worship because we enjoy the music, or we want to see people. But at its heart, worship is not about those things. It's about the worship of God. In fact, the word worship comes from that word, worship. It's a spiritual practice where we respond to God's love by offering ourselves to Him. We take time, deliberate time, to put God first. The Old Testament and New Testament understandings of worship are very different. In the Old Testament, worshipers would bow down. They would stretch out with their faces on the ground in adoration or submission. And there were very strict rules about the worship leaders, the robes they wore and how they were cared for, how all the worship elements were prepared, and about the building or the tent itself. Old Testament worship required a blood sacrifice of bulls, goats, or other animals. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that that's not required now. I don't don't think we would like that much. Um, In some cases, worship in the Old Testament was more about following a formula or a set of rules. It wasn't always about the worshiper's state of mind or condition. The birth of Christ changed everything. And it put our relationship with God on new footing. While we no longer have these blood sacrifices of animals, God invites us to sacrifice ourselves. All that we are and all that we are about. The Apostle Paul frequently wrote about how worship establishes, edifies, and builds up the body of Christ in the church. So as a community... When we worship together, we grow stronger together. We grow closer to God together. Worship in the New Testament does not have the rules that are found in the Old Testament, but we know it had several components. Um, Prayer is one. Teaching, preaching, or some kind of revelation. Today I'm starting with teaching. Toward the end I'm going to preach to myself, and you all can just sit there while I do that. And then hopefully there's some takeaway we have to help us remember who God is. We read scripture, we observe the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, and we give money for benevolent or other needs. Worship is a time to lay aside anger and quarreling so we can direct ourselves to God, knowing that God is already and always seeking us. God is always drawing us close and he's shaping us into what he wants us to be. And worship is a place where broken lives 
can begin to be made whole. So there are a lot of things the New Testament does not tell us about worship. It does not say anything about what the room should look like. It does not say anything about wearing robes or how we should take care of them. We don't have to worry about mildew on the robes. Um, it doesn't say anything about which instruments we should use. It doesn't say anything about whether we should have banners or flags in the worship space. And it doesn't say anything about the altar table or the candles or the cross. So when we look at it that way, Christ gave us a little bit of a blank slate regarding worship. And that gives us some freedom to discern how we're going to share our love for God through music and words and rituals. So the way we worship is not one size fits all, but every single person is called to worship. We can worship alone, but here we are gathering once a week as a group of people together. We know we need both individual and corporate worship, community worship. But I have to confess that sometimes I'm like the people in the Old Testament, and I bet you are too, because I have in mind the way that worship should be. I like a certain look and feel. I have favorite songs, and I really like it when we sing them. I like most of Martha's sermon topics, but sometimes I do not like them because they step on my toes. I like green better than purple, so I like it when the green banners are up here, but I know why we use purple during Lent. I know what I want, and I know what I personally like. Are any of you the same way? It's okay. Confession was a topic in worship a couple of weeks ago, so you can confess that. But then Jesus comes along, and he starts messing with me. And he starts messing with you, just like he messed with people when he was here on earth. And so I have to say, well, isn't that just like Jesus? Because he wants to wake me up. He wants to get my attention. As we enter today's scripture, the Gospel of John will have already used three chapters to talk about Jesus' ministry. Jesus is no longer a Jewish teacher who was performing amazing deeds. He's not a man who had opposition from other religious leaders. He is seen as recognized, set apart, and anointed. So this is a different Jesus, worthy of all our praise. And ultimately, John's going to give a lot of names to Jesus, like the bread of life, the light of the world, remember the gate, the, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, truth, and life, the true vine. But in John 4, he's traveling when he stops at Jacob's well because he needs to rest, and he meets a woman from Samaria. The water in this story symbolizes Jesus and the salvation he brings to each one of us. And at the time, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Jesus and the woman represent two completely different mindsets of people. They have two perspectives on life and on worship, and even though they have two different mindsets, they want to worship the one God, the one true God. The Samaritan woman recognizes Jesus as a prophet or as a spokesman for God. She knew she was an outcast, but she wanted some kind of breakthrough to understand who Jesus was. 
And she wanted Jesus to give that to her, so she had some relevant questions. Now, if I met Jesus and I were going to ask him about worship, here are some of my questions. Jesus, do you prefer worship in the building or is online worship okay? Because I would rather wear my pajamas to worship. Can I worship at the lake or at the golf course or do I have to worship in the church building? Which do you like better, Jesus? Praise songs or hymns? Hey, Jesus, which translation of the Bible would you rather hear read in worship? The Samaritan woman begins with a where question, and in John 4.20, she says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. In his response, Jesus shares with the Samaritan woman, so hear these words from John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus says nothing about the way people worshiped in the Old Testament because that was obsolete, but he says he wants true worshipers. When we consider true worship, the real question is not, what will meet my need? Instead, the real question is, what kind of worship does Jesus call for? Jesus tells us to worship in spirit and truth. When we worship in spirit, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, who has many other names, comforter, guide, teacher. And spirit-led worship is creative. It meets us where we are, and it shares the life-giving power of God. Andrew Murray is one of my favorite uh, Christian authors, and he was a minister, and he said the spirit is the deepest inward part of the human being. God is also spirit, and God gave us a spirit with the sole purpose of being in fellowship with him. Richard Foster is a Quaker minister and author. He says, we can use all the right techniques and methods in worship. We can use all kinds of pretty words, but we have not worshiped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. So singing and praising and praying may all lead to worship, but worship's more than that. Our form or style of worship doesn't matter so much because rituals and tradition and personal taste alone are not worship. Worship only happens when God's spirit touches our spirit, and then it's sort of like a wildfire. Now, as humans, we want to control and put out wildfires, but the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. 
The Holy Spirit wants to run through our worship like a wildfire, and the Spirit wants to stir up our spirits. So when we worship in spirit, we want to be sure we don't quench the Spirit. We need to come worshiping with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and expecting to be set on fire by God's love. If there's no real passion for God, there's no worship in spirit. So we invite the Spirit of God to touch our hearts, to touch our own spirit, and Jesus will show up. He will be alive and present among us, and he will teach us, guide us, rebuke us, and comfort us. That's why it doesn't always feel good. We don't always want to be challenged or corrected or stirred up. But that's what happens when we worship in spirit. When we worship in truth, we're not talking about truth versus falsehood because we're, we're not talking about your truth or my truth either. Truth in worship seeks the truth of God, realizing that God is God and we are not. John 1 talks about how grace and truth came through Jesus. So when we worship in truth, we ask God to come into our mundane, ordinary, everyday lives at school or at the office or wherever we are at home. And we ask God to transform us in life-giving ways. We embrace the truth that God alone is God. We recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's about. And we know the Holy Spirit is with us. We look at ourselves and we acknowledge that the reality of our lives doesn't always look like what God is about. And that makes us uncomfortable. But when we worship in truth, we surrender and ask God to help us embrace his truths and not our own truths or preferences. So this is why I sometimes don't like the Bible. Because this scripture makes me ask some hard questions. And it makes me say, so how can First Farragut United Methodist Church how can you and how can I respond to John 4, 23-24? How can we be sure that our worship is true? How can we ensure that we're worshiping in spirit and truth? And this is when I start preaching to myself. Okay? It starts with a Monday through Saturday commitment. Everything that happens on Sunday is transformed by what happens Monday through Saturday. If we want to worship in spirit and truth, there are daily practices that will help prepare us for that. Practice the presence of God every day. When you work and play and eat and sleep, listen for the Holy Spirit. This will empower us to come to worship with anticipation. Each day, find a way to prepare your heart for Sunday worship whether you will be here in person or online, practice the presence of God. Be flexible. Look for different ways to worship, different experiences. 
Read scripture that steps on your toes and challenges the way you think and be in conversation with people you don't normally talk to. Listen to worship music you don't really want to listen to. Hearing unfamiliar music is actually a good thing because it forces us to listen carefully. We're going to have to really listen to what those words say. And there are good words in every kind of worship music. It's an opportunity for us to take those words into our hearts as we hear a new song. Have a willing spirit. Be willing to let God stretch you as you think about worship. Then receive whatever happens and know that it was a gift from God to you. Be flexible. Pray. Pray in advance for the people who will lead worship and for every person who will participate. Pray for the person sitting near you. Pray for the people worshiping online and in the building and the people that come into your mind as you worship. Pray. Deal with distractions appropriately and keep the focus on God. Sometimes when we worship together, I think negatively about something we did that morning. Here's an example from my own life from about 30 years ago. We were going to a different church and the choir sang a song that I flat out did not like. And they sang it pretty often. And I had just learned that when they started that song, I was just going to grit my teeth and get through it. There was nothing wrong with that song. I just didn't care for it. So one Sunday, they sang the song in worship as I grit my teeth. And I, I really did not like it. And the woman sitting next to me turned to me. And she said with all sincerity, that is my very favorite song for the choir to sing. What if my negative experience was someone else's positive experience? That's okay. I have to get over myself so I can worship. God reaches out to each of us in just the perfect way, and I don't want to get in God's way. I don't want to get in the way of what he's doing for someone else. We can learn to deal with distractions and personal preferences in a grace-filled way as we love each other and create space for each other. So trust that God can use every single thing we do in worship to touch someone's heart and celebrate that. Finally, keep showing up. Join in worship even if you don't feel like it. Go to worship where you are praying and you are expecting and you are looking for God to do a new and living work among all of us. Just show up. As we worship individually, Monday through Saturday, as we gather in worship on Sunday, let's worship in spirit and truth. As we do that, we will be true worshipers. And faith, hope, and love will begin to prevail not only in us, but in all the lives we touch. Let it be so with each of us as we worship in spirit and truth.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our series on real life, real community. See you then.